Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Cape Town, a superhero podcast about superhero things. I'm Tyler Huckabee. And I'm Ryan Hamm. And we're it this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you get. Our other two members, I, I thought we could see if we have time to do this, but maybe by the time we get this up, our logo can be like Han and Chris's heads like dissolving in the Infinity War dust meme because they both died. And Chris, you know, was like, Mr. Ham, help. And then I cried. <laughs> So, <laughs> Mr. Ham, I don't feel so good. Uh, I feel like we're spoiling the movie. Yeah, everybody who's listening to this podcast has seen the movie. Yeah. They both said Chris is in Florida, I think, and Hannah uh, was too busy, although they are both texting us right now. So I just think they didn't want to talk about Deadpool this week, who is who we're getting Deadpool and the X Force is who we're getting into. We are recording this just as like reactions from the fan screening first started to come out. So maybe we'll read through some of those and we'll also get into a little bit of the history of who Deadpool is and how he came to be. But before that, um, I guess we need to talk about the news a little bit. The big news, I suppose, is Infinity War is doing well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one way of putting it. Um, it had the best opening weekend of all time, yeah. right? And it's cruising for... Has it opened in China yet? Uh, I feel I'm like not that, sure. I don't understand how these things work. Yeah, I don't either. I know um, it's the fastest movie to a billion dollars ever. And apparently it like has crushed the pre-sale records in China, but it hasn't or crushed pre-sale records in China as a direct quote from uh, comic book resources. But the, it doesn't say on CBR whether or not like when it actually opens. But but apparently it's about to pass the Dark Knight. Oh, interesting. I'm a little surprised that a movie with that like dark of an ending is doing as well as it is. I think I'm less surprised about the ending and more surprised. I think that um, because the first thing my wife said to me when we walked out is like, if you hadn't seen all of the movies, then like you would have no idea what was going on. Um, So I think I was surprised in the sense that like I expected everyone who was like super into the movies and like the people who are into comic books, obviously, because then you don't need as much of the movie like to to like it and to go. I think what I didn't expect is like for it to have this kind of mass appeal. Um, I mean, because it's like it like tells you nothing about any of the characters which like i mean i think that was a critique by some critics is that it did like zero characterization but you know they really relied on the audience to have the knowledge of the you know 1700 other movies that they'd seen in the past (laughs) 10 years so um i think like that's that's the surprising thing to me is that it's done that well despite really resting on the shoulders of the other movies it's easy for people like me and you, I think, to say, like, well, I don't care that it's kind of hard to wrap your head around what's going on if you haven't seen the other movies, because we have seen all the movies. We've probably seen most right. of them more than once. Um, but even so, I feel like that critique is just kind of an odd... You wouldn't say that about say that about any other movie that was part of a franchise. You wouldn't say it about uh, The Last Crusade. You wouldn't say it about Empire Strikes Back. I'm... I think it's weird that that is such a common critique of this one, especially given how blatantly Marvel's telegraphed that it's making these episodic. It's going, it's literally leaning into the episodic nature of this franchise. I feel like it's maybe twofold. Like one, like it was weird to me because I, I kept thinking like, you know, when Return of the King came out, that was kind of the, you know, it, it won like best picture. Um, and to me, it felt the same way. Like, it's not like there was a lot of, you know, character development or Return of the King. But I also think it's just kind of a um, unfamiliarity with the beats of comic books, which I've, you know, I, I mentioned this in our, uh, sidekick that 
like Infinity War felt like the most comic booky movie to me. And one of the things is that, you know, cr- criticism I read about the movie is that um, the deaths like felt kind of cheap, but like that's also true in like every comic book because you know, like, you know, most of the people who die are probably going to come back in some semblance of themselves. But like the fun is, is not knowing like how that's going to happen and is seeing how their death ripples through the universe. So yeah, I felt like that was kind of an unfair criticism and clearly like lots of people around the world agree. Um, Cause yeah, I don't, it's crazy to me that it's just, it's going to, you know, it's like it's star Wars level of people going to see this. Thing yeah. Now. It, really, um, it really is for me too. I mean, all I really want is for a movie to finally beat avatar. Cause avatar <laughs> sucks and nobody <laughs> likes it. Um, and somehow that stupid movie is like, you know, the, his still holds the box office record. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? It's like a viral tweet about how you can't name one character or one line from Avatar, the highest grossing movie of all time, which is not yeah. true because I think his name is Jake Soley <laughs> and he was played by a guy named Sam, whose name I can't actually remember. Oh, Sam but, uh, Worthington? Yeah, that's the one. Sam Worthington. I was going to say something uh, different, Sam. But what's crazy is Zoe Saldana now is in two at least of the highest grossing movies of all time yeah dude dude a low-key heavy hitter yeah and randomly sigourney weaver was in avatar oh yeah Um, that's true (laughs) yeah yeah it's just a weird like that's such a weird movie to think about and you know we'll see how the sequels two through 17 do oh my gosh well we'll have to start another podcast for avatar fans out there avatar fans (laughs) um i'm excited for it to fold immediately yeah, yeah seriously there's it's a little bit up in the air right now it sounds like for disney about whether or not after avengers 4 the untitled infinity war part 2 avengers movie whether there will be more avengers movies after that but they have confirmed that they are working on a new franchise with a different marvel property i think that's all we really know at this point Ryan and I were talking about how there is a rumor that they're going to be leaning into a group called the Eternals, who honestly, I don't know a whole lot about. You were looking up some stuff on them, Ryan. Yeah, they're a Jack Kirby creation and have some ties to the Celestials. Um, And I think Neil Gaiman had a run that is pretty well liked, um, as is everything he does in comics. Um, But yeah, I know like basically nothing about them. So I mean, it's smart in the sense that like Marvel's playing with house money at this point and they can kind of make us care about whoever they want. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Like, it would be weird. I mean, what do you think about them potentially retiring the Avengers name? Like, to me, that feels really weird. I think it'd be weird. I think especially since they've been building a new cast of characters that you could hand the Avengers off to so easily once you retire Captain America, Iron Man, and the rest of them. Then you've, you've got Captain Marvel, Black Panther, uh, even people like Ant-Man and the Wasp, but like you, you've got this a pretty stable crew that you've been building up that would be very easy, really bankable at this point, household names. I don't know why you wouldn't move on. Maybe give it a little breather after Avengers 4, but it sure seems like another Avengers movie would go over like gangbusters, especially if you had Captain Marvel and Black Panther kind of taking the lead the way that Iron Man and Captain America have for the last 10 years. Uh, I think we'll be seeing more Avengers movies. I mean, <laughs> this movie just made a billion dollars. It's on course for $2 billion. They're not going to not make another one if there's any way to make one. And there is. There's a very easy way for them to make one. They have a lot of different ways they could go with it. Because um, mm-hmm. they could, you know, if, if Iron Man sticks around, uh, they can, or even in some capacity, like going the Illuminati route, I think opens a lot of options. Um, and then, you know, this obviously 
doesn't take into account uh, any possibility of X-Men or uh, Fantastic Four. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the possibility, which at this point is it, it hasn't happened yet. Disney hasn't officially acquired Fox. But if they do, then they've got the Fantastic Four and the X-Men that they could work with. And, and they'll still have Spider-Man, obviously. So there's a lot of Spider-Man possibilities. It seems a little weird to me that they, at this point, they've only said we might do another Avengers movie. And I think for, if you're, if you're in Vegas, that might is up definitely at this point. Speaking of Captain Marvel, uh, we don't have a lot to talk about here, but Annette Benning, who I love and I'm a big fan of is going to be in the Captain Marvel movie. I would assume, well, how familiar are you with like Captain Marvel's stable of characters? Uh, not very. I've read some of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run, uh, but it's been it's been a while, so I can't remember it. She has kind of an older pilot mentor in Kelly Sue DeConnick's run that I could see Annette Benning playing really well. That would be my guess okay. for who she is. But the official word is that is that it's a mystery, possibly a scientist. Hmm. There are more scientists in the Marvel universe <laughs> than, there, than there are people of color. It's absurd it's how everybody yeah. has some sort of crazy degree and just and if they don't know any, any science, they can just figure it out. Although nothing ever will ever top uh, Jessica Alba's scientist <laughs> character in Fantastic Four, where they were like, where it was, you know, the whole method of being a scientist was just to put a lab coat on in classes. And that's something that I do think, like, I really love the Fantastic Four. I really love the, like, really geeky element to at least half the team, how they're, uh, they came from the 60s at a time where it was really cool to be a scientist. And there was, there was a lot of, like, industry happening and science was the way of the future. Future. So these people could be believable superheroes. It's not so much that way anymore. But once again, science is kind of under attack in this country. And now would be a really good time to have some heroes who really liked science and knew a lot about science. I just it might be too soon for another go at a Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> and as long as it as long as the effect isn't like the Bill Nye Netflix show, <laughs> I, think it, I think it'll be OK. <laughs> Something else, another piece of news that I that Uh, We talked about a little bit. What do you think about... So DC Comics is launching something called the DC Universe. We don't know a lot about it at this point. It is going to be a streaming... There's going to be a streaming component to it. They've announced four different TV shows. A Harley Quinn show that'll be animated. A Young Justice show that is also going to be animated. And then a live action Titans show and a Swamp Thing show. That, at this point, is all we know about it, although I can't imagine they're going to launch a whole entire streaming service for four TV shows. Yeah, I, like, it's super... It's really weird to me that, like, that that's all it's going to be. And I mean, you know, not to say that's all. Like, that's a, you know, that's a big That's thing. all we know right now. Yeah, um, I guess I'm... I'm really hoping, and I know we've talked a little bit about this off the podcast, um, you know, I'm really hoping that DC Universe ends up being Marvel Unlimited. Because um, right now, it's... You know, it's it's not necessarily hard to read DC comics because you can get most of them on Comixology, but it is really expensive to read the DC comics, and their back catalog is just really lacking. Um, on the previous iteration of our podcast, when we did an episode on Wonder Woman, um, I really wanted to dig into her back catalog more, and it was like the George Perez, which is like her most famous run, only had like one trade available on Comixology, so it just like it's just weird how they're going about the digitization of their comics. And especially when Marvel seems to have such a huge head start. So I hope it's something like that. I mean, some of the shows seem kind of interesting. Um, I mean, like I'd be like, 
a good Swamp Thing show could be super cool. Um, yes, for sure. That's the one that's most exciting by a long shot for me. Yeah. Like it's like James Wan is one of the um, executive producers of Swamp Thing. Um, and he says some really cool stuff, particularly like in the horror genre. And it sounds like that's where they're going because two of the other showrunners are have been screenwriters for movies like It and um, <laughs> The Mask, which, you know, sure. <laughs> we can't sure. all have our winners. <laughs> We've, everybody's got one mask in their resume. It's all right. Yeah. But he, the other guy did some Ash on the Evil Dead and he has some okay, history cool. in comics. So, and he was one of the uh, showrunners on Constantine as well. Uh, and he was a writer for Daredevil. Um, so, yeah, it seems like if they're leaning into kind of the horror aspects of Swamp Thing, that could be a really cool show. I just feel like with, as with any streaming service, it just kind of depends on what kind of budget they give it and um, what it can be like. I feel like the weird one to me is the Harley Quinn series because, like, it's bizarre that they're trying to make, like, three Harley Quinn movies and a TV show at the same time. They know that there's IP there. They, I just feel like they can't figure out how to capitalize on it. <laughs> well, that's DC in a nutshell, though. Seriously. I mean, she's she's a known name at this point. I like that they're investing so much attention and, and money on a female character. She's just such a hard... She's, she's a difficult character to to get right. Somebody said, this is not one of us, but somebody said that the best thing they could do with the character like Harley Quinn is call up Rachel Bloom from crazy ex-girlfriend and have her write and star uh, Harley. Cause crazy ex-girlfriend really leans into the sort of madcap, like borderline manic personality that Harley has. I think that's a great idea, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. You know, they've got Margot Robbie, they've got anywhere between two and four different movie ideas with Harley Quinn and her. I don't know which one they're going to end up going with this show, which I guess is going to be animated animated show kind of makes sense for her, but we've already had an animated show with her. It was called Batman Animated Series and it ruled. So I, I'm not sure. Yeah. The streaming service is only marginally interesting to me at this point. If they digitize their comic books so that we can actually read them, uh, have a, like a Netflix for DC Comics, then that would be great. Yeah. And if I have to pay a little... Right. That's like an instant buy. Oh, it would be crazy for them not to, but it's weird that they haven't announced that they didn't make that announcement as part of the DC Universe announcement. I don't even know if this thing is an app or a website or... It was a weird rollout. Yeah. All I know is that it has a Twitter account. <laughs> that's, that's about it. We follow it at Cape Town Pod. So we'll be the first to know for any exciting DC Universe announcements. The segue from that is that there was actually, I feel like Deadpool and Harley are kind of two, they're, they're very much a piece of each other and their respective comic book enterprises. And there was that attempt, apparently a brief uh, attempt that is not happening anymore with Donald Glover's Deadpool show on FX. And uh, apparently there were like some sour grapes there with, with that. And that was before Donald Glover released This Is America. It became one of the most exciting music like like went from being like, oh, Childish Gambino, I've heard of him, to somebody who's really, really interesting. And I wonder if FX is feeling that right now wishing that they'd stuck with him a little longer. I mean, to be fair, though, if you didn't think Donald Glover was interesting for Atlanta, like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, Like, because that's a weird thing, like, with Donald Glover suddenly becoming, like, super, like, all over the internet. Because I think, and I mean, I've talked to you about this, like, I think his music as Childish Gambino is, like, the least interesting thing he does. Um, The video is, like, incredible. But I think, like, as a visual artist, he's amazing. So I'm 
continue to be bummed uh, that they didn't release that Deadpool script, especially when he released that fake Deadpool script that was very funny and very like would have gotten them kicked off the air immediately. And I feel like they've got they went with him for Atlanta so well. FX was clearly willing to take a lot of risks because it's a risky show. I love Atlanta. Yeah. A Deadpool show in the vein of Atlanta at any sort of vein of Atlanta would be awesome. I guess we're just not going to get it. But in a sense, I guess we're moving fully into the Deadpool segment of the show now, which is fine. In a sense, that's okay with me because I I sometimes am a little bit Deadpooled out. He's just so, there's so much marketing around him. And I liked the first movie. I don't think I liked it as much as everybody else did because the humor I thought was good, but it kind of leaned a little bit too much into that sort of frat bro Spencer Gifts like family guy break the fourth wall and then break the fourth wall behind that one more than I was like in a way that I didn't really love because I just don't love that kind of humor all that much, but I'm clearly in the minority because everybody loves it. Yeah. I mean, I liked the first movie um, quite a bit. I th- like, I thought it was pretty funny. I have, I definitely have a weakness for that kind of humor. Like I think 22 jump street is extremely funny. And that's like that. I do love 22 Jump Street. So maybe I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. Um, so that, like it felt kind of in that wheelhouse um, for me. I mean, like I didn't think necessarily like the plot was particularly great. And like, you know, everyone loves to complain about the Marvel Universe's villains. But like Deadpool's Ooh, villain boy. was awful. I remember nothing about him. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I liked the setup. Like it was cool to see them, you know, kind of treat that character well. I think it was interesting to see. And I, I think it'll be even more interesting to look back after 10 years and see, you know, how does the humor hold up today? Because that's that's one of the things that's always been an issue with Deadpool is that, you know, it's written to be funny and humor can change like pretty significantly from decade to decade. So if you go back and try to read some of the early Deadpool appearances, um, it like is frankly awful. You know, that, that could be because it was just bad or it could be because like our senses of humor have just kind of changed over the course of the years. But, you know, I mean, for what it was and for the time it was like, I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny. And in spite of myself, uh, I'm very excited about the new one because uh, the previews have all made me laugh really hard. <laughs> the previews have made me laugh really hard. I think I said this last time. I love Rob Delaney. Oh yeah, I'm very excited. It looks like he is playing himself in this yeah. movie. So I would go see it for that alone. I like the trailer quite a bit, and and honestly, after Infinity War, I'm all on for Josh Brolin doing anything in a superhero movie. Initially, I was a little bit bummed about him being cast as Cable because I was so excited about Coach Taylor potentially getting the role. Oh, that's right. I forgot that was the rumor. That that was, that was apparently that was happening, but Ryan Reynolds said he just didn't feel it. He didn't want it. And, uh, and so that moves me out a little bit. I always wonder what that movie would have been like, but I, I thought Josh Brolin's performance in infinity war was really, really good. So I'm back on the Josh Brolin train, which is sort of a train. I spent my whole life getting on and off of at various points in his own career. I think like the rest of us, let's be honest. And speaking of Atlanta, Zazie Beats is Domino in this. And via the trailer, her stuff looks very, very cool. And first word out of the gates is that she's a big hit in the movie. She goes over really well. So that's exciting. Yeah, I think it could be cool. The, one of the interesting things is it had some uh, a little bit of drama behind the scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. Because the original, the director of the first one, Tim Miller, apparently, uh, and this is the story, I have no way of knowing if this is true, but uh, the rumor is, is that he wanted to make 
Deadpool 2, like this huge, like mega, mega budget movie. And Ryan Reynolds wanted to keep it more like the first one. Um, and so it ended up that Tim Miller actually left the project. It was, was uh, replaced by David Leitch, who uh, directed John Wick, uh, which is awesome. Which is so, awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, he directed Atomic Blonde too, which is not as awesome, but has some cool parts. So Atomic Blonde just didn't quite live up to the sum of its parts. It had great moments and also sort of lame moments. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, the previews have been good, and we'll see how the early buzz is. And you'll probably know shortly after you listen to this. <laughs> what What is your take? Because I have some sort of takes about anytime the superhero genre becomes something that is inaccessible to kids. I get a little bit. It feels like it's losing something important about the genre itself. A lot of this stems back to the fact that when I was a little kid, the first Michael Keaton Batman movies were coming out and my parents wouldn't let me go watch them because they were too dark. And I was furious about it. In retrospect, it was the right thing for them. Obviously, that's just good parenting, but it was really hard to because I loved Batman, but I wasn't allowed to go see the movies until they came out on VHS at the time. So that's something that I've always been a little bit. I'm really glad that the MCU, even at its darkest, has always maintained a level of accessibility for kids to go watch it. And it was really cool to see like kids dressing up like Black Panther earlier this year and uh, and Spider-Man and stuff. And I think especially since Deadpool is such a funny sort of juvenile character that has a lot of inherent appeal for kids, that this one has leaned in so gleefully to its R rating. Something about it rubs me a little bit the wrong way. And I think I'd have less of a problem with it if they didn't try to have it both ways, like appealing to kids with like the merchandise and the the marketing, but having the very extreme R rating so they can't actually go see it. I think I go back and forth. Like I generally am like, I like having stuff be accessible to kids because I think that you know, I think a lot of the magic and, you know, I can't think of a less corny word, but like, I think a lot of the magic of comics or even the magic of some of these movies like lies in the fact that it lets us, you know, see things like kids do. Um, and watching kids watch this stuff is really fun. But uh, like, I also think, I mean, I think there's room, like there's room for characters like Deadpool, just like there's room for stuff like Watchmen. Um, where it can kind of play with the genre conventions a little bit. I think part of the problem, and maybe this is what you're reacting to, because it's where I find myself reacting to. I think part of the problem is when that becomes kind of the de facto starting point, like Deadpool and Watchmen in particular, like led to all this kind of like deconstruction of the comic book genre. And, you know, like where can you push it and what, like what are the themes and like, you know, in in Deadpool's case, like the ultra violence and comics and stuff like that. And after a while, it just becomes, like becomes really oppressive um and it's a lot less interesting because the thing that it's trying to um like that it's trying to poke at is now the thing in the minority and the like the thing that it's doing is now kind of just the standard so i think like that's as long as deadpool is like the only movie that lives in that place um i think i'm okay with it i think it'll be like i'll be more irritated if um if that becomes like kind of the standard that Fox goes with its movies. I'm also really interested to see like if they can do, if they can incorporate Deadpool into some kind of, well, and I guess this, this could be Disney's problem soon to see if they can incorporate Deadpool into like a PG 13 movie because they can have him like break the third wall and like, you know, or break the fourth wall and like make a commentary on like that. He suddenly isn't able to swear or something like that. And that could be really funny. Um, 
And I think, you know, having him be in those situations could be cool. Sure. Uh, done right, there's all sorts of possibilities there. Deadpool has been, it, he, he's just had to be a lot of different things over the past few years. Uh, and that's something that we'll explain a little bit in our pre-written segment. In 2008, two brothers named Joel and Ian Gold, a psychiatrist and a neurophilosopher respectively, told a story that turned the modern psychiatric world upside down. According to the Gold brothers, one of their patients, a well-to-do army vet, had come to them with a very unique problem. The man had said that he believed he needed to climb to the very top of the Statue of Liberty in New York City. Once there, he was certain that one of two things would happen. Either he would find his true love waiting for him, in which case he would live happily ever after, or he would scale the statue to find nobody and jump to his death. And why did he believe all this? Because this man believed that his entire life was a reality television show. As he told the Gold Brothers, quote, I realized that I was and am the center, the focus of attention by millions and millions of people. My family and everyone I knew were in our actors in a script, a charade whose entire purpose is to make me the focus of the world's attention. For obvious reasons, the Golds referred to this as Truman Show Syndrome and say this man is just one of at least 40 reported cases they've studied. Although Truman Show Syndrome isn't officially recognized by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, the Golds believe that it should be, Skeptics argue that delusions, such as believing that you're part of a reality show, are nothing new. But the Golds argue that the Truman Show Syndrome is different. Most people living under a psychiatric delusion believe that their family is out to get them, or their government, or maybe just their neighbor. But those living with Truman Show Syndrome believe the entire world has conspired against them. It's a mix of paranoia and grandeur belief that you're both the only one being left out of the joke and simultaneously the center of the world's attention. In 1991, Rob Liefeld and Fabian Nassizia came up with a new villain for the X-Men to tussle with. Liefeld was an influential artist at the time and brought a sketch of the character to writer Nassizia. Nassizia noted the character looked a little like a DC supervillain named Deathstroke. Liefeld suggested they name the character Deadpool as sort of a knowing spitball to the competition. That puckishness would come to define Deadpool's existence in time, but at first he was just another bad guy, a paid assassin with a Wolverine-type healing ability and an affinity for guns and swords. His real name was Wade Wilson, and while he was originally explained to be part of the same Weapon X project that created Wolverine, that story has been subject to a lot of tweaks over the past few decades. Wilson is insane, see, and his own memories aren't reliable. The character proved to be a hit and in time became less of a villain and more of a morally ambiguous mercenary with a slippery ethical code. He developed a reputation for wisecracks, kind of like a rude Spider-Man. And like Spider-Man, his mask covered his whole face. But unlike Peter Parker, Wilson's real face was horribly disfigured. It wasn't until 1997 when Deadpool got his own comic series that writer Joe Kelly really gave Deadpool the voice and characterization that became one of Marvel's most bonkers characters. As Kelly wrote him, Deadpool was fully aware that he was in a comic book and would argue with Kelly, the artists, and even the readers. Other characters like Wolverine, Bruce Banner, and Captain America figured Deadpool was crazy because he was talking to himself all the time. And yet, Deadpool was clearly crazy, 
occasionally even psychotic, but he wasn't wrong. He was the star of his own comic book. Everyone else was a supporting character. This allowed Kelly and subsequent writers to have an absolute ball with Deadpool's adventures. There was the time he went back in time and lived through an early issue of The Amazing Spider-Man, making wry wisecracks about early 60s comic book tropes. When he meets a new foe, he's been known to go back and read old comic books about them to learn their weaknesses. Once, in order to kill Green Goblin, he went back to an alternate universe and killed the Headless Horseman instead. He learned that the Headless Horseman was what inspired Stan Lee and Steve Ditko to create Green Goblin in the first place. In essence, Deadpool was his own version of the Truman Show syndrome, except in his case, it's not a delusion. If Wade Wilson's hyper-awareness gave him an edge in his adventures, it also alienated him. Other characters tend to treat Deadpool as an unhinged nuisance. Although he's occasionally been part of other super teams, he's mostly an outcast, and he doesn't pretend to enjoy it. In one of the best Deadpool stories of all times, comedians Brian Posen and Gary Duggan wrote a five-part series called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, in which Deadpool realizes that he's being hunted by an extra-military force and approached both Wolverine and Captain America for help. Neither take him seriously, setting off an emotional journey that has Wade Wilson questioning not just unsavory truths about his own past, but about his core. We learn that he doesn't just wear a mask to hide his hideously disfigured face, He wears it so no one can tell when he cries. You don't have to be suffering from Truman Show Syndrome to have delusions of grandeur. All of us know what it's like to feel that you're in on some sort of secret about your own greatness and intellect. And if other people could just see the things the way you did, they'd realize how wrong they've been. In that way, we create and direct our own reality shows and cast ourselves as superheroes inside our own comic books, where we can always break the fourth wall of our minds, even if it's only to say something like, get a load of this guy. It's how we grasp from meeting, trying to find a story in our own lives that makes sense. We have different ways of saying it. Everything happens for a reason, or it just wasn't meant to be. We're directing plays in our minds, transposing plots and storylines onto the randomness of life, making ourselves the center of the world's attention. In that way, Deadpool is more than just the most deferential, self-aware superhero in Marvel Comics. He's also a stand-in for anyone who's ever looked up into the sky and wondered just what the hell is going on. So Deadpool has, and really the X-Force as a whole, uh, have all had to like wear sort of a lot of hats over the last 20 years since their first introduction. I I think it's just easiest to start. I want to talk about some of the comics that they've been in. We'll start with Deadpool comics themselves. Like you said, a lot of those early iterations with Rob Liefeld just definitely haven't aged well. I don't know if they were ever actually good. (laughs) Right, right. Rob Liefeld, I, I hear, I need to be honest, I hear that he is a really nice person. So I don't want to say anything bad about nice people. This is not a judgment on his character. It's just that at one time, he was the highest paid comic book artist in the world. And the guy can't draw. I mean, I think the fact that he founded Image has like, helped a lot with <laughs> That's uh, true. his image. That's true, no yeah. pun intended. Um, but yeah, like if there are some amazing blog posts, uh, there's a couple like articles in particular, if you can Google it. Um, oh, I'll add that link to the one in the, in the show notes yeah. about like the, the 100 worst Rob Liefeld drawings. Yeah, it's <laughs> that incredible. is very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So 
there's definitely some latent latent distaste in my mouth for Rob Liefeld. But yeah, if you try to go back and read those Deadpool or even the early X-Force, because Rob Liefeld created X-Force as well, um, they are just like illegible garbage. I would not recommend it in the slightest. Yeah. As bad as those are, he as Deadpool started to evolve into a more uh, knowing character uh, through the work of people like Mike Duggan, uh, Gail Simone, then some of those get really, even in the 90s, when comic books were not at a great point as a medium as a whole, some of them have held up pretty well. And then the more they leaned into the the comedy, the more popular the character got. Yeah, and I think um, in particular X-Force, and this is where I think... um, like I think X Force and Deadpool have some really interesting things to do, and I know we're probably going to talk about this more. But I think when Deadpool, in particular, can be a lot to take on his own when he's putting comics with other people, um, like on a team like X Force, I think it's really interesting. And the cool thing, well, cool. I mean, I guess it depends on your perspective. Like the thing I like about X Force is that it is sort of this very explicit manifestation of the idea that superheroes shouldn't kill people because mm-hmm. if you're if you don't know much about x-force i mean they're kind of different things at different times but a lot of times they're this sort of shadowy group that the leader whoever it is cyclops or professor x depending on the time you know aren't necessarily like don't necessarily know anything about because they're like doing the stuff that they think the x-men can't do because it would like solely the x-men and it's led by wolverine a lot of times that and so you know it's sort of this like anti-hero like amoral they're doing the right thing or they're doing like the wrong things but like for the right reasons and you know it really kind of delves into the muck of you know there's this dude with claws and Deadpool has a ton of guns and they kill people, but is that okay? It's sort of a, uh, a black ops for the X-Men. The X-Men are supposed to serve as an example to humanity though, of like how mutants are good too. And and sometimes mutants are, are like, like we, we we're just like you and there, but there's an understanding or a belief at least among some members of the X-Men like Wolverine, that there also needs to be uh, this sort of rogue, darker counterpart to the X-Men who can get away with stuff. This came at a time in the nineties. It's important to remember that the X-Men were Marvel's biggest, biggest franchise by by a lot so they were cranking out x books there was i mean you had in addition to x-men and x-force there was x-factor there was excalibur i'm sure i'm forgetting a couple of them uh exiles which just came back uh so these were all uh just different iterations basically of of mutants marvel is turning them out as fast as they could but x-force is the one that is really stuck i think because that is an interesting idea and because anytime that the x-men proper found out that the x-force was working they would try to shut them down because it runs very contrary to the ideas of professor x and cyclops who try to resist all of that yeah i think the like the hard thing is always that uh like cyclops sucks and uh, <laughs> all the members of x-force are cool so it makes it like i'm always even though i philosophically am completely on the side of cyclops and uh you know the the traditional x-men team the pursues peace like is way more fun to read about x-force uh, particularly <laughs> when like wolverine and cable are in charge so I think, as you know, because I talk about this a lot, my favorite iteration of the X-Force is the one that was written by Rick Remender for a few years called the Uncanny X-Force. Cable's actually not on the team, but it is led by Wolverine. Deadpool's on it. Uh, then you also have Archangel and Psylocke and <laughs> Phantom X, uh, who is not a very well-known character, probably because his powers 
having read about him many times, I still could not tell you exactly what they are. <laughs> yeah, it's not one where like one of my favorite things and you know, the thing I like to poke fun of about every X-Men book is like every single like arc always starts with like loosely explaining the powers of the characters because they assume you just have no idea anymore. Right. It's like because there's so everyone's many of them. got yeah, everyone's got Wolverine down, everyone's got Cyclops down. Beyond that, like it's like, well, I don't really remember oh, anymore. It gets so vague, like especially some of the telepaths that they use. Like, oh yeah, she can read minds. Also, move things with her mind. Also, there's like maybe <laughs> another plane of reality that she can access. Yeah. It gets and Phantom X just does whatever he needs to do, and then but he's a, he's a, his powers are completely do ex machina. But the book itself, the Uncanny X Force is just exquisite. The artwork is really, really good. It's a powerful story. And I really like actually how it uses Deadpool because it's a very somber book uh, with, with a very, very, I would say it, it is a grim tone, but instead of being sort of extreme and badass and metal, it feels more like these characters are really oppressed by the weight of the violence around them. It seems to carry an actual emotional toll on their lives, which isn't something that comics explore very often. And, I, and I'm glad they do here. And Deadpool, you see through Rick Remender's writing that he is using this humor uh, as a defense mechanism, it, that he's not just this is uh, insane madcap character, but that he's, he's joking in the face of all of this because he doesn't, he's afraid of what he would do otherwise. And it goes over like gangbusters. It's a great storyline. And, and I think this movie has inspired me to go back and give it another read. I'd love to go through it again. I was doing a bunch of reading of it uh, in prep for this. Um, and I, I feel like you've, you know, really hit the nail on the head with, and I, that's such a terrible idiom. <laughs> um, I, mean, I feel like you've really hit on something with, you know, that description of Deadpool, because I think those are the most interesting iterations. And that's part of the reason I actually think that the first Deadpool movie worked. Like when you give the character like something that they actually care about and it's more of a like they're lashing out or like using humor as a defense mechanism or as a way to not have to like deal with reality of their feelings. Um, I think that makes a really interesting character. Cause like one of my favorite Deadpool runs is the Brian Poisson yeah. from Marvel now, which I think was 2013 or something. Yeah, it's great. Um, I like it a lot. Yeah. And that's another one where you realize that like, you know, Deadpool is like telling jokes and like making a lot of fart jokes and butt jokes. And then like, you kind of come to this point where you realize that like, he's, like deeply wounded and hurting and you know i i think those are some really interesting moments and i think that x-force ties into that really well and i like in reminder's uh run as well i think he does he does this with every character and but with deadpool in particular where obviously these guys and uh, like these men and women on the x-force are you know they're doing some bad stuff that you know you're not supposed to approve of as a comic reader um, but you really do see it take the toll on them. You know, there's a moment where they're about to shoot a child and, you know, not to spoil anything, but the child is apocalypse. So it's kind of the, you know, <laughs> never ending. If you could time travel, would you kill baby Hitler? And it's really interesting to see the characters respond to that. Um, in particular, Deadpool being kind of the first to speak out and be like, I'm not killing a kid. And, you know, you're supposed to assume that this is kind of this amoral mercenary for hire um, who just wants to be paid and doesn't care about anything. So, yeah, I, I think, I think that gives the character beating heart that I think has been missing in a lot of his uh, appearances. And I think that the movie 
did a pretty good job of in the first one. I think that's true. And maybe I should go back and rewatch it because I only saw it the one time in, in the theaters, but I am remembering I like the romantic relationship, which I don't always in these movies. It's not a given that it's going to be a compelling romance. And a really good thing that they did that could have not gone over well, but I think they handled it carefully was that end with Colossus giving the big speech about being a hero and Deadpool cutting him off in the middle of it by just blowing the guy's brains out, which speaks a lot to the heart of the character, not only in that he doesn't really care about being a hero, but that he has very specific reasons for it. He's not the Joker. He has a, a sense of morality that and it's different than a lot of other superheroes, but but he believes in it and he abides by it. And that makes him very interesting when thrown in to team situations. And it can be hard to make a character who breaks the fourth wall as much as Deadpool does work in a team situation. I don't know how big they can make this. I don't know how you could bring the Deadpool universe into the rex, rest of the X-Men universe uh, as it stands having him like crack jokes to the audience with like pull like popcorn out to watch fight scenes while they're also trying to do some really dark Phoenix stuff, for example, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I, I I think they, that's probably something that Fox is thinking about. I, I, I don't know what Fox is thinking about for their X universe right now, but Deadpool's extremely successful and they would be dumb to not be trying to figure out how they could leverage that into a, a broader cinematic universe. Yeah, like it'll be interesting to see what they do with that because I do think there's some interesting possibilities. Um, like I think some of Deadpool's appearances in the X Men comics and in X Force, you know, are pretty successful because he's like he provides some levity to kind of the growling of Wolverine and the whining of Cyclops. I think there's some a place for it. It'll just be interesting because the like the Deadpool movie is so wildly different in tone than any of the X Men movies that they've done. Like you said, I think it'll just be really interesting to see how they could possibly fit that in. It almost feels like, you know, I wish if the end of Logan hadn't happened, I think it'd be really interesting to get like that tone of Logan with the tone of Deadpool. Like, I think that kind of mashup could work really well. Um, But yeah, we'll see. I, I know like they're already talking about like they're already talking about Deadpool three and they're talking about X Force. So it'd be interesting to see if. You know, if they go with an X-Force movie, if that becomes kind of the PG-13, you know, kind of gateway into the Deadpool universe where he's cracking jokes about like having to stick to not like swearing so much and not like being able to have a lot of blood. And then Deadpool 3 kind of continues the Van Wilder hijinks of uh, that everyone loves. <laughs> I believe, I, I think that they've confirmed that the Deadpool 3 is actually just going to be an X-Force movie instead of moving to a, a third sequel or a threequel. Yeah, it sounds like they're still talking. Like they're definitely talking about the X Force movie, but then there might still oh, be a okay. Deadpool three. Right, okay. It sounds like they're they're trying to keep okay. it, and it sounds like they're trying to be pretty intentional about keeping that a little smaller. So I wonder if you know, Deadpool three will be kind of their like if Fox basically has given them you know carte blanche to kind of play and like do whatever they want because they've earned it, and they probably aren't going to spend a ton of money on that. So, whereas X Force obviously will be like a huge budget kind of blowout. What do you think needs to happen with like the Fox X universe as a whole right now? Because they're coming off, it's been so up and down. They have like for every winner, like Deadpool or Logan, and Logan was was amazing. Logan is one of the best movies of, the, of last year. They've got something like X Men Apocalypse, and and they the X movies recently have been 
like they haven't all been bad. A lot of them have been really, really good. It just, it's hard to feel like they're not running on fumes a little bit right now, despite the fact that their solo outings are actually pretty strong. Like the weird thing is that like Days of Future Past like is like in my top five I superhero love it. movies. I love um, it. Like it's amazing. Like it came out like I'm trying to remember the year it came out. It came out like right around the time of Guardians and Civil or and uh, Winter Soldier, which is like so. Those for a while were like my one, two, three of superhero movies because I think 2014. All yeah, yeah. Days of Future Past was 2014, and it's a great yeah. movie. It's so good. But then like yeah, when Apocalypse came out, it felt like. You know, the Brian Singer version has run its course. Oh, it, just, and the, it like slammed on the brakes. It was so annoying. Yeah. And, and it's weird because it's like, I think, you know, I think those characters and those actors they have playing those characters are all really good. You know, so I don't know what the issue was. It's like, like, I think part of the problem is that some of the people they had just got too famous to play like an ensemble cast. Like you have Jennifer Lawrence playing, you know, like a, you know, side character but obviously Jennifer Lawrence is supposed to be like a leading person. So, you know, then you try to figure out how to fit more mystique in and it ends up being weird. And then like you have Michael Fassbender being Magneto. And so maybe that's part of the problem, but yeah, I don't know. Cause it's like all the X movies that they've announced. Um, like I'm not interested in a dark Phoenix. movie. Uh, the one they had the new mutants that was like positioned as like an X-Men horror. I'd forgotten movie, I about it entirely actually, but yeah, the trailer was intriguing. Yeah. But then that's just been delayed and delayed and delayed and nobody seems to know why, which is usually not a great sign. And right now with the Disney deal looming, um, I feel like they're in this weird limbo where I don't really know what they're going to do. It feels like honestly, Deadpool and X-Force might be the place to relaunch. But then like I don't know how you bring in characters like Wolverine and Cyclops and all those people again. And I think you need those for any like X universe. Yeah, I, eventually, like you could give them there's so many X-Men, you could give the the big characters like Cyclops and Wolverine uh, a breather. But you've also got this young cast with Jean Grey and the Beast and Nightcrawler. Like you've you've got them sitting there, and they were obviously cast because of their youth and could carry a franchise for a while. They're just in kind of a tough spot right now. And a really good movie could turn it around. Dark Phoenix could turn it around, but the fact that it's been delayed as long as it has, along with New Mutants, just doesn't speak very well. It's a reminder that what Marvel proper, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is doing is just not as easy as it looks. Like. I think the fact that every other franchise that's tried to launch in the wake of Marvel has not had a lot of success speaks to the fact that that what Marvel's doing is is pretty tough. It's pretty tough. It's not a given that it's going to work out. Again, I think the characters they have to choose from are really great. It's just, you know, I, I think Age of Apocalypse like just left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Um, and then all this stuff, obviously, that went on with Brian Singer. Didn't help things. Yeah, yeah, it didn't help. Yeah, that didn't help anything. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's weird because like it feels like it feels like Fox is having all these successes with kind of one shot stuff where it's you know like Legion is amazing and Logan was amazing and they're making a ton of movie with Deadpool and like those are funny and kind of their own tone and then it feels like they're kind of spinning their wheels in the main series. So I don't know like if they should pivot off of one of those or you know would that water down kind of what's special about some of those things. Like maybe we don't need another franchise, like giant franchise like Avengers. Maybe it's okay to have a whole universe full of just these quieter, more intimate looks at different heroes like Legion, 
like uh, Logan and like Deadpool, right. where they can do whatever they want without having to worry about managing the the huge constraints of having to play into a larger cinematic universe, as long as they're all kind of vaguely aware that they're happening in the same world, which Deadpool was and, and was very successful at doing that. I also think that the reality is, is if, you know, if the Disney Fox deal goes through, like, obviously Wolverine is going to be in the movies. Like They would that- be incredibly stupid to ignore Wolverine. It won't be Hugh Jackman. I don't know who it'll be, but but and I part of me is down with that. Like I would love to see Kevin Feige's take on well, like see Wolverine in the actual yellow spandex costume. That would that would be super yeah, cool. Exactly. Same with Matt. Like you know, seeing the real the, the costumes that I grew up with, the '90s like animated series yeah. costumes would be awesome. But uh, we'll have to see what happens with that Fox deal first. I don't know. I feel like my my uh, like vaguely anti-capitalist leanings are being really challenged by this Fox deal because <laughs> I feel sort of the moral quote. Like on the one hand, that's a lot of power for one company to ha- handle. On the other hand, seeing Magneto toss Iron Man around would be pretty entertaining. So I I, I don't know where it's gonna. I'll I'll just kind of let. I'll let fate decide that one. Yeah, exactly. I'm always like, I'm not so sure. And then someone's like, yeah, but what about House of M? I'm like, all right, fine. Um, Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. We will be uh, getting together next week when Deadpool comes out. We'll do another sidekick to give our brief uh, reactions on the movie itself. So you can tune in then. Thanks for listening to this. Thank you to CM Studios. Chad and Jesse are the ones who keep us sounding good over there. Usually, it's more than just two of us. We also have Chris Youngblood and Hannah Mazel. Uh, they are very insightful, and they would have made this many times better if they'd been here, but they weren't. So when we get together next time, they will hopefully be joining us again. If you like what you heard here, please don't hesitate to go over to our Apple Podcast page. Give us a positive review if you liked it, and if you didn't like it, uh, take that somewhere else. And you can follow us uh, at Cape Town Pod on Twitter or Cape Town Pod on Facebook. And I think that'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Ryan Hamm. Uh, Thanks, citizen. We'll see you next time. Bye.